The Buddhism and Breath Summit took place online in 2021, with a group of researchers exploring Buddhist practices of working with the breath or the winds of the body. The event was co-hosted by me, Francis Garrett, and Pierce Salguero, and it was co-sponsored by the Robert H. N. Ho Family Foundation Center for Buddhist Studies at the University of Toronto and Jivaka.net. The following talk is entitled, Troubled Breath, Wind Horse, Smog, and the Stagnation of Vital Energies. And it's delivered by Dr. Saskia Abrams Kavanenko, who's an anthropologist and, an, and the author of a book called Enlightenment and the Gasping City. She's a scholar of Buddhism, shamanism, post-socialism, and global warming and pollution in Mongolia and India. You can watch the video of this talk and find other resources from the Buddhism and Breath Summit at jivaka.net. That's J-I-V-A-K-A, jivaka.net, N-E-T. In Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia's capital city, Wednesday night classes at the Foundation for the Preservation of the Mahayana Traditions Dharma Center, Shedra Bling, teach meditation and visualization practices. Shedra Bling is tucked between apartment buildings and a Mormon church across the road from the city's centrally located Zanavazar Museum, which houses some of Mongolia's most impressive Buddhist artworks. The building is three stories high, overshadowed by larger apartment buildings to the south and west. To the northern front of the building stands a white stupa, which, along with what remains of the old temples and the new Buddhist statue, statue to the south of the city, is one of the few Buddhist symbols visible within the largely physically secular city. Occasionally, elderly Mongolians can be seen praying next to the stupa. Next to it, a flagpole is decorated with brightly coloured prayer flags, imprinted with the image of the wind horse, or in Mongolian, Hima. These prayer flags, adorned with the image of the wind horse, are believed to spread blessings as they catch the wind. Buddhist classes take place on the first floor of the building, in the Gompa room, which is colourful decorated with colourful tankers, Buddhist statues and offerings. Sitting cross-legged on the carpeted floor of the Gompa room after walking through a late May snowfall in 2016, I am one of around 50 lay people attending the meditation class led by Australian nun Annie Guillermo. After meditation practice, with help from the centre's translator, Hudlin, she leads a purification visualisation. Imagine, she tells us, that your body is filling with black smoke. This smoke represents your negative actions formed from your body, speech, and mind. The visualization continues until the body is slowly filled with smoke right down to one's toes. Now, she instructs us, as you exhale, empty the smoke from your body through your breath. We each picture the smoke being slowly cleared, released from every part of our body. She continues, as you imagine the smoke leaving your body, visualize the defilements of body, speech, and mind living with it. After the smoke is gone and our bodies are, imaginatively at least, free of the dark smoke and with it all of the impurities of body, speech, and mind, she asks us to envision our bodies filling with light. Imagine, she instructs us, that white light is coming from all directions and that this is coming into the body filling up every aspect of our being. Smoke here is an allegory for obscuration and defilement. Light both cleanses and represents illumination, one of the key properties of Buddhist enlightenment. 
In Mongolia and elsewhere, visualization practices and tantric images, such as those of the Bodhisattva Vajrasattva, are used to purify spiritual pollution, one's present motivations and one's previous actions. Vajrasattva is often pictured next to clear flowing water and a clear blue sky. Vajrasattva's image is associated with diamonds for their unsullied and adamantine qualities. The imagery of pure water and pure air are frequently used in tantric initiations, Buddhist iconography, and daily offerings. Annie Gyalmo's use of smoke to symbolize obscuration in Olambata has strong resonance as the city has spent decades being plagued by chronic air pollution. In this presentation, I will describe how urban Mongolians navigate the capital city Olambata's chronic air pollution in relation to ideas of breath, clarity, bodily winds, and purification practices. I will describe how the air pollution and blockages in breath relate to other kinds of obscuration and stagnation in the post-socialist period. Air pollution marks the boundary between what is considered to be the physical and the immaterial. One can't really hold on to it, but it is visible to the naked eye. Inhaled as breath, it ultimately, intimately connects us with every cell of our body. It insinuates itself into all parts of the city, yet it ultimately eludes capture and control. One comes to measure the levels of smog, not as a thing which one can see, but by what one cannot. Attempts to capture the density of smog fail, as photographs foreground close objects and obscure those further away. One sees smog, in effect, by its capacity to obscure. It enters the body through breath, yet it ultimately eludes us. In Ulaanbaatar, as the air pollution darkens the skies, it has become associated with an unpredictable post-socialist urban environment where the causes of rising and falling fortunes are difficult to identify. It is because of the lack of clarity that air pollution produces, this ambiguity or fuzziness which makes pollution resonate powerfully within Ulaanbaatar's residence. It is a metonym for the present unpredictability of the urban environment, from the day-to-day -day issues of whether a debt will be repaid or a permit approved, to the more complex issues of an unstable economy. Landlocked between China and Russia, Mongolia's landscape consists of steppe, desert, mountains, lakes, and some forests in the north. The sky is wide and unobstructed. It plays a key role in the country's national imagination and has a long history of being worshipped. Mongolia's sky, as many a proud Mongolian tells me, is clear for an average of 250 days a year. Buddhist prayer scarves are commonly coloured bright blue, symbolising the reverence for the sky and its qualities. Oval, sacred rock cans are placed all across the country and connect the mountain tops in veneration to the heavens. On oval, poles are mounted from which prayer flags printed with a wind horse wave, catching the air in order to multiply the blessings. The clarity of the sky and the light that it bestows are frequently discussed in the Buddhist sutras. It is also present in Buddhist iconography and utilized metonymically in teachings to lay Buddhists and religious specialists. Adharma centers, bright light and clear skies are explicitly linked to purification practices that are thought to help individuals reach enlightenment. Yet in urban life, the sky has become frequently obscured by dirty air as smog blankets the city, save for the exceptional achievement of some very strong wind. 
how does this blockage of breath relate to Mongolian Buddhist ideas and practices? In what follows, I explore the connections between changing economies, religious practices, and the air pollution itself. Then I will look specifically at the energies of the wind horse as it embodies the idea of wind and revitalizing energies. Before the socialist period, Buddhist institutions were dotted throughout Mongolia in key positions for trade and communication with nomadic herders. The temples were wealthy in both human labor and the lands that that they held, and they provided medicine, religious services, and housed the country's most revered religious artworks. Following the socialist revolution in the early 1920s, the 1930s saw the severe persecution of Buddhists and others who were thought to oppose the regime through their politics, wealth, or ethnicity. Temples were ransacked, lamas murdered and forced to disrobe, and the public practice of religion was restricted. After the democratic revolution in 1990, many old lamas who were in temples in the early 20th century donned robes again, and people started to reimagine Buddhist practices. International Buddhist organizations came to Mongolia with hoping um, to help reseed Buddhism in the country. As Buddhism was being beginning to be revitalized in the country, a series of economic disasters characterized the 1990s. The Soviet Union began to withdraw aid to Mongolia, and at the same time, the government decided to embrace the free market economics um, quite rapidly and dismantled key infrastructure throughout the country. In the 1990s, food rations had to be introduced in many places, and shortages of fuel, materials, and spare parts were common. Due to many factors, including dismantled infrastructure in the countryside, and also factors to do with population, uh, climate change, the population in the capital rose from around 560,000 in 1990 to around 1.45 million today. Ulaanbaatar now is home to around half of the national population. The economy has continued to fluctuate over the last two decades, and as the city's population has more than doubled, the long winters have become increasingly unhealthy for the city's residents due to pollution from traffic, burning rubbish, the smoke of coal-fired power stations, and the hearth fires burned for heating and cooking in the extensive Gare areas. Gare neighbourhoods are those areas populated by people living in felt tents and small concrete buildings with very little infrastructure. While I was carrying out field work, Gare neighbourhood residents needed to burn around two and a half bags, two and a, two bags of coal and half a bag of wood a day to survive the harsh winters. If people could not afford it, they burnt tyres, fences or rubbish, whatever they could do, to prevent themselves from freezing in the winter temperature, which averaged below minus 25 degrees Celsius or minus 13 degrees Fahrenheit. During much of my fieldwork, it was widely reported that Ulaanbaatar was one of the five worst cities for air pollution in the world. In 2011, the Mongolian government admitted that the pollution problem had become so bad that it had reached disaster status, with epidemiologists saying that hospitalization from respiratory complaints was causing a public health crisis. Conservative estimates state that one in 10 people who die in Ulaanbaatar die from diseases diseases related to air pollution in the city. For those living in Gare areas, which is around one quarter of Mongolia's entire population, the air quality is worse. 
For the urban poor, health problems caused by a continuous exposure to particulates are compounded by poor access to healthcare. The acrid air instantiates broader anxieties about corruption and moral decline that have coincided with the transition to capitalism. Air pollution in the capital has worsened with economic changes and the growth of a new kind of political and business elite. As the skies have become fuzzy with smug, inequalities have become more visible, compounding the sense that Ulaanbaatar is imbued with spiritual and moral decline and that this incline, uh, sorry, decline literally hangs over the city. Corruption through widening inequalities and skimming money from projects needed to reduce urban migration worsens the pollution. Air pollution intricately influences the fabric of urban lives, not only through the bodies that breathe the particulate saturated air, but also in the religious practices and understandings and the city's psychological underpinnings. As smog infests the city in the long and cold winter, a thermal inversion prevents the polluted air from escaping, save the exceptional achievement of unusually strong winds. When I asked people what they thought the opposite of environmental pollution was, many replied that it was wind, as wind could rid the city of air pollution. The symbol of the wind horse, or Hema, is common throughout the city and the countryside. It is printed on Buddhist flags that are placed upon the oval and in high places where they can flutter in the wind. The connection of the horse to wind has strong allegorical resonance in the imagination of Mongolians who connect life-sustaining nomadic movement to horses. Hema, or wind horse, is one of two kinds of energetic systems thought to circulate within and outside the body in Mongolia. Hema is one's inner energies. The second type of energy is hishik, which circulates around a person, the energy of which can be harnessed to enable growth. Hishik is not simply luck, but can be partially controlled with the help of ritual or more mundane practices. Though it circulates externally, one can internally harness hishik to assist with the generation and multiplication of good fortune. Whilst hishig is an external energy that must be harnessed inwardly, the internal energies of a person, is, as seen through the concept of humour, are influenced from outside and can be adversely affected by external contamination. Humour is connected to ideas regarding the movement of energy and of the air. The Hemosan, a prayer to help with one's internal energies, is a popular prayer ordered at Buddhist temples. Blocking one's humour, um, which can be caused by external contamination, can be associated with a drop in a person's fortunes. However, as one lama joked with me concerning how unhealthy Mongolia's peop wealthy people can be, rich people, he said, evidently don't always have good humour. Humour is associated with metaphors of air and movement. It is thought that in order to maintain one's humour, a person should follow the movements of the sun. For instance, it is common for mothers to encourage their children to rise with the morning sun, as aligning oneself with the natural movements is thought to raise their humour. If one experiences a period of bad luck, it could be thought that their humour is lying down. A person's humour may be weakened due to normal fluctuations, or because it has been polluted by outside forces. If outside forces are to blame, a lama or a shaman can carry out specific readings and rituals to cleanse one's humour.
Ordering the Humasam prayer for oneself or friends and family is a common reason to visit temples. Visiting sacred places or visiting one's birthplace are also thought to refresh a person's humor. In urban life, there are many ways in which one's humor can be obstructed. The city's location between mountains causes air to stagnate in the winter months, worsening the air pollution. At the same time, urban life is dominated by a lack of physical movement, as many Mongolians drive or catch public transport to work. If a person has become ill or is experiencing a period of bad fortune, it can be attributed to a weakness of humour. Some friends and acquaintances said that they regularly had the humour sound read to increase their energy. This is a popular prayer to have read, even if one is not experiencing difficulties. At Sagansa, the Mongolian Lunar New Year, it is common for people to buy a prayer flag with the wind horse symbol on it, in a colour appropriate to their birth year. One takes this coloured flag and ties it to a high pass in, particularly, in a particular astrologically determined direction to strengthen their vitality and to enable prayers and blessings for the coming year. Pollution covers the city aided by a lack of sufficient air and movement. Movement and wind creates clarity. These associations of purity with wind and clarity have a strong resonance in the Buddhist teachings um, and Buddhist teaching lineages, both inside and outside Mongolia. Just as the clarity of mind is linked to a clear blue sky, one's breath is a primary place where one is clearly interdependent with one's surroundings. Breath animates, animates and connects. The pollution of the air, with its actual limitations on light and breath, create obscurations both cosmologically and in tangible ways. Pollution blocks, suffocates, and delimits. For many Mongolians, the air that hangs thickly over the city during the winter months indicates stagnation and obscuration, as invisible blockages are thought to linger and obstructs one's fortune. The city air stagnates. For some, this pollution in the air is caused by polluted minds and ill intentions. For others, it is a condition that, like the globalized economy, is something that the urban population cannot currently see their way around or through. For all, it is a physical reality for most of the year, shortening the length and quality of the lives of those who breathe it. The Mongolian notion of humour, with its connection to movement, vitality and good fortune, stands in contrast to the polluted air. The energies of the steed, with its dynamism as it catches the wind, have the power to re-energise that which lies dull. Having humour is apparent in the movement of nomads. As urbanites struggle to make sense of their untenable seasonal condition, they interact with old ideas and new challenges. Within its doctrine and practices, Buddhist students learn to feel their interconnectedness through the air, highlighting their interdependence. In an urban environment where one no longer moves across the open steppe, humour is being reimagined. Urban Mongolians visit temples to remove obstacles, to purify, to energize, and to lighten. Thanks so much for listening. If you're interested, do check out my book, which explores these and more topics in greater details. Thanks so much.